Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. The problem nowadays is people want to get dropped off at the top of the hill and look down. It's that I overcome mindset that makes all the difference. See, the way we're taught is you're going to claw, you're going to scratch, you're going to bite, you're going to dig, you're going to do whatever it takes to get to the top of that mountain. That unequivocally is how I have managed to keep myself moving forward and finding success. Two seals, one mission. The Overcome and Conquer Show. And what is up, everybody? It is amazing to be back together to touch the flesh of Ray. That just got weird, dude, didn't it? Did you like the way I stroked your arm? Stupid. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. But to be back together, this is the first time we have actually been back in person yeah. since the crazy COVID crisis. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I will say that's a whole nother topic. I'm not even going to get into it, but I will just say it's good. It's good to uh, see producer Ryan again and and be back in the studio. This is backside. Yes, to 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 look at the back of his head as he records and works the magic. But uh, it's um, I won't lie. We are stepping out of COVID and and all the craziness related to COVID and the massive impact. I mean, my my business. I mean, I made. 85% of my revenue by speaking on stages and in about a two week period, all that dried up. It's, it's been, I definitely were the, the economy, the world is going through a drought right now. And then we go from one drought. We, you know, we talk about pivoting all the time and flexing to the positivity to get the job done. And then, then this happens, which we're going to get into today. Um, And it's just, well, and it is, I mean, this killing us, right. It's uh, it's killing us mentally. The, the death of George Floyd. Yeah. And and the tinderbox, the 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 explosion it ignited across the country. And I'll be honest, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty positive guy. Uh, the whole thing has left me incredibly depressed. Yeah, it's taken its toll, I think, on every single human being. Not not a race, not a sex, just every single person. I think this is affecting in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, because a lot of things are are happening. A lot of things are being destroyed. Uh, you know, people that work their ass off their entire lives, you know, I mean, what I'm seeing, I can't stand what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, you know, my my dad, my my stepdad's a retired police officer. So obviously this, this hits home with the LEOs, you know, uh, you know, they're talking about wanting to disfund and disband police officers. I think, you know, well, I think, I know we need structure in society to, to have some type of normalcy. You can't just you know, we can't just run around doing whatever the hell we want to do. We've got to stop. We've got to unite, come together and move on. You know, obviously. We, well, you nailed yeah. it. We, yeah. we got to figure out how to bring people back together because people are so divided. People yeah. are so angry. Um, and and I, I don't know where in the last 20, 30 years of American society, we've become this way. We've become so far split on our views and almost unwilling to listen and hear what others have to say. And uh, so it is amazing. And I'll be honest, I mean, watching all this, I'm confused because I have, I have my views on things. Some I agree with, some I totally disagree with other people that are out there right now. And uh, so I thought, Man, we got to get together and you and I talked and uh, and we have an absolutely amazing, amazing guest that yeah. we brought onto the show. I cannot tell you how excited uh, I, ha- I connected with him last year. I know Ray met him uh, last year and Forgot he me. is a friend of the amazing Bedros Koulian. 
And uh, I tell you what, he is one of the more qualified individuals I know to be able to speak on everything that's going on in America right now. Uh, and uh, so without further ado, I'm going to jump right into who this individual is. He goes by the name Mr. Ryan Tillman. And I tell you what, he is the founder and CEO of an amazing organization, Breaking Barriers United. And it is all about raising awareness uh, in um, across America, within our communities about law enforcement and trying to break those barriers between a lot of what we're seeing in America right now. And here's what the most unique thing is. Not only is he doing this, he also is a black American and he is a police officer. He is an active duty police officer right now. So uh, he is married. He is a father. He is a leader. He has come up with all kinds of organizations, Breaking Barriers United, Chosen, It's Needed. Uh, so many things that he is involved in that he is trying to spread this amazing positive message. He is a strong Christian man of faith getting out there to represent because I tell you what, right now we need it. And uh, Ryan, I'm so honored you would be on the show. This, uh, Guys, I want to tell you, this show, we're going to tackle some hot button issues. We're going to tackle some issues that people are so divided and you're going to say, I agree with that, or you're going to say, I don't agree with that. But, but until we address these issues head on, and 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 try to understand where different groups are coming from and be willing to appreciate their viewpoint uh, against your viewpoint, we're never going to be able to come together. So uh, that's why it is my great honor and privilege to introduce Ryan Tillman to the Overcoming Conquer Show. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you guys. Uh, truly means an honor. I'm humbled to be here. And uh, man, I, I mean, I can't thank you guys enough for the service that you guys did so that way we can actually even have a law enforcement or be able to have a podcast and be able to speak freely because uh, your service to the country doesn't go unnoticed. And a lot of times people forget that, you know what I mean? So uh, thank you guys for you and, and, and thanks for just having me. Well, thank you, sir. That goes back. That's two way street. We, we think the same way for the law enforcement and all the first responders out there just kicking ass and taking names, even under these trying times. So thank you. Yeah. It's, no it's heartbreaking to me to see over these last, I don't know, several years, the vilification of law enforcement that's happening. I have so many friends that are law enforcement officers that I know love their community and they work so hard. And uh, I've said it before to people, you know, unfortunately, every great tree sometimes bears bad fruit. I mean, we've had it in the SEAL teams. We have some bad SEALs. I hate to tell you, we don't walk on water. We are not gods and guys make bad decisions sometimes. And it happens in law enforcement, but uh, it's heartbreaking for me to watch it. It's also heartbreaking and depressing. Ray and I were talking about this. I've been overseas in, in chaotic, destructive uh individuals who are fueled by rage uh and and watching it happen here in america right now is uh is really hard so ryan um yeah you are a law enforcement officer <laughs> you are in the middle of all of this i mean what what are your initial thoughts on what's going on right now in america um so you know as you as you guys kind of mentioned i started breaking barriers united uh, about five years ago in a little bit about my past is I ne had no aspirations of being a police officer. Um, you know, I grew up not liking police officers for, for many reasons. You know, I, I, I was harassed by a few of them. Um, you know, my family was harassed by a few of them, you know, 
you look at social media, you just kind of feel, see what that fuels. So again, like I said, no aspirations of it. And so when I became a police officer, I saw different things going on. And I saw that a lot of the, the thoughts I had about law enforcement were, were off base. They were off centered. And, and so I realized like there needed to be some type of way to go out there and spread a more, not only just a positive message, but a truthful message. And we'll talk more about that later when we get more into my story. And so the reason I bring that up is because I start, I saw where we were going as a country five years ago when I started my organization. And because of that, I took heat on both sides of the spectrum. I took heat on law enforcement side because you had a lot of guys that were like, who's this guy trying to come into the profession, trying to change things, trying to move our cheese, trying to, you know, be transparent. That's not how we operate. And then I had people on the opposite side of the spectrum that just don't like police that are like, you know, you work for the man and you're one of them and this, this and that. And so a lot of times people will view it as me being trying, you know, it, it was a thing to, you know, publicize Ryan. It was all about Ryan or putting myself on a pedestal when it was the exact opposite. It was more of a global view of things. And I realized like, Hey, if we don't start doing things now, you're going to have something that's going to light a match across this country and we're going to become more divided than ever. And that just so happened here with George Floyd. So I think that kind of explains why my phone has been ringing off the hook is because I got ahead of this five years ago. Not to say that, you know, I have the solutions to our country's problems, but people now know they, they, they really see a time and place for where my organization fits within our order and within our country. Ryan, I love it, man. And and really, you are, I mean, we said it at the beginning, you are so uniquely poised right now to be a voice of reason just because people are so divided. Um, as with every show, we start with the word of the day. And uh, we ask every guest that comes on, what is the word that best captures who they are? And I got to tell you, um, I don't know, it made my my soul feel good yeah. when you told me what your word is. Uh, <laughs> so, Mr. Cash Care. Yes, sir. In all your glorious muscle-bound magnitude. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> would you please give us uh, Ryan Tillman's word of the day? Yeah, so uh, I got to be honest with everybody. You know, uh, with all the chaos going on, I didn't have a chance to reach out to Mr. Tillman ahead of time. So right before we went on, I said, hey, Ryan, what's your word of the day? And without even a, a pause. He said, my word is not, it's of the day. It's my word that re resonates me as hope. So I, I just think uh, you couldn't have chose a better word, sir. Um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read it right out of Webster's dictionary. And then what I'd like is for you to tell, you know, the thousands and thousands of listeners what it means to you and why you chose that word. So without further ado, hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Can you mm -hmm. elaborate on that, sir? Yes, sir. So the reason I think hope is my word and, and the word I stand by is you're looking at an African-American male who had no aspirations of becoming a police officer. In fact, had quite a disdain for police officers, called them pigs, called them the man. Um, and you're looking at somebody that was able to see beyond, you know, my preconceived notions of what I believe the profession was became a police officer. And not only did I become a police officer, I've become the change that I wanted to personally see in our society. And so I think I exude the hope that we need as a country because you have a lot of people that want to see law enforcement change for rightful reasons. But at the same time, I never compromise my identity as an African-American Christian man in America. 
So that's why I think I exude the word hope. And that's why I have hope in our society that we can move forward and, and make our country, again, the most strong, the most powerful country in the world. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's dive into it. You ready? Let's so get into this. It. So who is Ryman? Who is Ryman? Who is, who is Ryan Tillman? <laughs> so just, you know, go back and, and bring us up to date. Who Who are you? Who were you? And, you know, what made you become the man you are today? Okay, cool. So uh, I'll try to make this as quick as possible. So I grew up in Rialto, California, uh, which is a Southern California uh, city. And uh, Rialto was not a, it's definitely not a place where a lot of people or where people have a lot of money. Uh, is you know, it, it's probably, I would say it's a middle to lower class neighborhood. Uh, when I was growing up there, it was more middle, but over the years it's become more, cla more lower class neighborhoods than any, anything. I grew up uh, with predominantly black friends and Hispanic friends, uh, mostly uh, black friends. And I had a few white friends growing up just because there wasn't a lot of white people in Rialto growing up. Um, my whole life, I've been an athlete, played uh, play baseball, football, track, tennis, you name it. But as I got older, uh, I really took to playing football. But I think it wasn't necessarily just the football. I think it was I've always taken towards being a part of a team. I just love being a part of a team. And so uh, fast forward to high school, you know, I uh, had a pretty decent high school career. I was, uh, you know, named the athlete of the year my senior year, uh, went on to, to college, and I actually walked on to the football team at Uni University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And some people ask, well, how did you go from being athlete of the year to having to, having to walk on to a team? And if you don't know what a walk-on is, that means that you are not on scholarship, so you have to pay your own education, but yet you still you basically have to earn your way and, and stake on the team. And the reason I was is because at my high school, we weren't that good on the football team. We had five different head coaches in four years. So we weren't that good, but I always worked hard. So I always had this mentality. I was going to be the first one on the field, the last one off. My grades would always be high. And so I had a good opportunity to go play football at UNLV. They said, hey, look, you're going to come in as a preferred walk-on, which meant I didn't have to try out, you know, because you have walk-ons that have to try out. And if you make the trial, then you'll be on the team. But then you come in as a preferred walk-on, you don't have to try out. So I had the opportunity to come in as a preferred walk-on. And then after a year and a half of, you know, working hard still, um, you know, I, I earned a full scholarship, which is probably one of the best days of my life. I have a few best days of my life, but that was one of them um, because it now meant that I no longer had to pay for my college education. The reason that was so significant to me is you got to realize is that I was actually playing a lot of these guys that are on full scholarship. It's almost like they got a lot of stuff given to them. Like, you know, they, have, they get money every month. They don't have to pay for their education. They don't have to work jobs or nothing like that. So not only was I working hard as a student trying to keep my grades up, not only was I working, I had to work at a, I remember I worked a warehouse job at, a, at this Halloween store during summertime in Vegas. So it was like 125 degrees. I felt like a slave. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I felt like I was out there like a sweat, working in a sweatshop. So I had to do that and then still do practice and all the other stuff. So I had to earn my way and earn my keep. And so when I got that scholarship, man, it was really a pinnacle point in my life because it realized, it made me realize that I can do sometimes the unthinkable. So you move forward. I graduated from college. Uh, I had aspirations of becoming an entrepreneur, a businessman. Uh, met my wife, you know, while she was visiting Vegas one time and uh, moved back home because my dad had got sick. So when I moved back home, was still dating my, my girlfriend, who we later on uh, ended up getting married. Well, after we get, got married, uh, she became a, a pregnant about a year later. And at that time, I was selling insurance for this company called Primerica. And 
boy, oh boy, like I had a lot of success with Primerica, but I learned a lot there too. I was doing door-to-door sales, trying to sell people life insurance, you know, and here I am at 21, 22 years old, you know, trying to convince you who, and I, I had no family, no kids, no nothing. So I'm trying to convince you to buy life insurance. But I learned how to sell door to door. I learned how to overcome objections. I, have, I learned how to take rejection, which a lot of times people in our society, unfortunately, don't know how to take rejection. They don't know how to be rejected. And so I started developing this tough skin through those years. And so when my wife got pregnant, my wife was like, hey, man, like, it's cool and all that you work in this insurance, brother, but this insurance ain't necessarily paying the bills like I want to be. This ain't what I signed up for. And so um, I had some good months, but I also had some bad months. I remember uh, specifically a time where, um, you know, my wife, she worked full time. And so she would leave for work. And when she leave for work, she was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out, you know, door knock and hit the streets. And so she came back. And when she came back, she was like, so how was your day? Did you make any progress? I was like, oh, yeah, I was working hard, super hard, you know. You know, went to the door to door to door. And really what I was doing is I was at home watching 300, <laughs> eating Cheetos and <laughs> all day. So at some point I was like, man, I, I got to stop doing this. So she got pregnant and my dad's friend was trying to get me to become a police officer forever because he was a captain. And for the longest time I was like, man, I'm not working for the man. Like I'm not about to be the popo. Like I don't even like you guys. So for like two strong years, he was trying hard to recruit me. And finally, um, you know, I prayed about it because I'm, I'm a huge Christian and I, like my faith and my foundation is found in Jesus Christ. So I prayed about it tremendously. And I was like, if this is what God wants, like it will be. If it's not, it won't. And the door kind of flew open from there. So you fast forward. I went, I got hired by a local agency here in Southern California. They sent me to the academy, uh, graduated number two overall in my, in my class. And I had no no law enforcement experience, no uh, military experience. And, you know, for all those that know law enforcement, it's paramilitary. So that was all brand new to me. Didn't know anything about it. So finish number two overall, I missed being number one by 0.04%. So if I would have got one more question right, maybe if I would hit one more target on the line at, 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 at target practice, I would have I got that overall. So uh, graduated, came into training as a, like, you know, field training program, which is where they teach you how to be, you know, a real police officer. And uh, during that time period, I was like, man, I still don't know if this is what I want to do. Like, I feel like every time I pull people over, I feel like every time I arrest somebody, I feel like I'm messing with people. And so it wasn't until I got off of training that I was like, oh, man, like, this is legit. Like, this is a cool job. Like, I can I can really be the change that I want to see, one, in law enforcement. But I have a lot of discretion to enforce the laws when and how I see fit in some of the things that I do. And so that was right around the time that Ferguson happened when Michael Brown was killed at the hands of a police officer, which was later found out to be justified. But the way that officer was portrayed in the media had already degraded his whole career and everything like that. And so I had a discussion with my mom about it. And she was like, you know, I wonder if my son would have did the same exact thing had he been put in the situation of the Michael Brown situation. And she was like, after thinking about it, I know he would have did the exact same thing. And it didn't make him a bad officer. It makes him a, a loving dad, a loving husband who wants to come home to his family at the end of the night. So that was like the light bulb moment for me. It was like, man, like the only reason my mom is saying this is because she's her pumpkin. She calls me pumpkin. Her pumpkin is now a police officer. And she now see, she knows the human behind that badge that I wore. And that was where the, the birth of Breaking Barriers United happened. And I start going out there and start spreading this message of, you know, trying to get people to understand the human side of law enforcement as opposed to just seeing what they believe 
law enforcement is to be based off of their social media interaction or their, their personal experiences. Yeah, and it's so powerful. You're getting out there. We'll talk a little bit later, a little more about Breaking Barriers United because you've get, you've gotten some great national exposure. You've uh, you've been on some big national shows and done some things that are awesome. But I want to go back to two points. Um, one point I just want to touch on right now because I think it's a little bit lost. Uh, you made a statement that uh, your mom calls you pumpkin, and you know that that that's the thing that I think people. Um, Having been in a, pre- a, a profession where we went out and took lives, um, I don't care who you are. It was one thing I saw. When you enter someone's house, I don't care if it's Osama bin Laden or whoever. I don't care how evil they are. They have a family. They're somebody's pumpkin. Uh, and, and that's something people need to understand. You know, Whether it's George Floyd, he was somebody's pumpkin. And I don't care what you believe about him or where he came from, just like you, our police officers, just like Ray, producer Ryan, myself. And and that's something we need to understand and humanize. People need to understand that out there. Um, and then, Ryan, the other thing you said is when you were younger, you uh, I don't you made this statement as you were entering, you thinking about going into law enforcement about, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of the man, you know, the popo. What brought what brought about those beliefs back then? Was so it groupthink or, or was it just groupthink from the community you grew up in? Or did you actually experience all this that drove the, because obviously this is a pervading mindset of a lot of young Americans. So, no, I actually had some bad experiences. So one of them was uh, I was driving through the city. I just got my license and I was driving through the city in my Mustang. And I was just talking about this on Bedros's podcast yesterday. I was driving through, I got a Mustang, had my seat back, had a beanie on. And I was talking on the phone and that was right around the time that the laws had just changed about talking on cell phones. So I was talking on the cell phone and some, some um, unmarked police officers rolled up next to me and basically start cussing me out saying, get off the, you know, effing phone, wipe the effing smile off your face. You know, if you don't, we'll pull you over, arrest you, all this other stuff. And in my mind, I'm just thinking like, bro, I'm just talking on the phone. Like you didn't have to roll up on me like that. So that was one of them. Then I had a few others where, you know, I was driving through a neighborhood, just kind of, you know, one of the things that I've always done in my life, I've been very good at vision, you know, being able to be a visionary, like seeing, like I told you guys before, like I kind of foresaw everything going to where it was going. And so part of me being a visionary is looking at things that I like, you know, my buddy was just at my studio the other, uh, probably like, you know, 30 or an hour, an hour before, you know, we got on this call. And, you know, he had a new car and I'm like, oh man, this is cool. So I went and drove it and it's a nice car. It's that new Corvette he has. And so I was like, man, this is cool. But those are things that that's, those are ways to help me inspire. It's not always found in material things, but those are ways I've always inspired. So this one particular time I'm driving through a nice neighborhood, looking at some of the nice houses and some guys following me, this white guy's following me. And he, and he tells me, he gets behind me. He's like, what are you doing around here? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just passing through the neighborhood. He was like, you don't belong here. You need to leave. And I was like, okay, and who are you? He's like, I'm an off-duty deputy, and if you don't leave, I'll call my partners, and I'll have them come over here and arrest you. And this, and this was just some of his uh, – and, and the worst part about it is his son was right next to him. So that was another one. And then I had another situation where I was at this a friend's house, and mind you, the friend's house that I was at, um, his mom is white and his dad is black. And so I was there. His mom just so happened to be there. I was there you know, on a call. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to step outside. I got to take this phone call. And I'm just in business attire. And I'm just outside, just kind of, you know, outside on my headphones, just on the, on, the call, on the phone. And so I went back in the house. And then after I went back in the house, uh, I got a, a door knock. 
And as I got a door knock, um, or as the, somebody knocked at the door, she went to open and it was a police officer. And the police officer was like, hey, have you guys seen anybody suspicious in the neighborhood? And we're like, no. And they were like, well, somebody called and said there's a guy wearing a red shirt and black pants wearing, or, or, or that's in the neighborhood that looks suspicious. So I looked at my shirt and it was red and I looked at my pants and they were black. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking like, what was so suspicious about that? So these were just a few of the incidents that I had had and then my you know i have family members that were pulled over multiple times so they fit the description of armed robbery suspect handcuffs out on the curb cars were searched and then they were kicked them loose and they weren't even a suspect of anything so you you have those experiences growing up and then you know right around the time that i started getting you know getting into high school and college was right around the time that social media started yeah myspace facebook so then you start seeing you know this the polarization of you know we don't like police and this and that so you add all that stuff together, and then next thing you know, you have this this mentality that you don't like police. That was on my end. Sorry about that, fellas. Um, so now all of a sudden you don't have this this uh, now you have this person that doesn't like police. Wow. All right, and and obviously there's a lot of young men across America and 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 uh, that have that have felt the same thing. So currently, right now, this is the most divided as a nation I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, you know, you just talked about your your background, things that you grew up with as a black American, and now you're a, pl- uh, a police officer. So I this the current narrative that I'm hearing is that black Americans are being targeted by police, specifically by white police officers. Um, it, have you seen this? And what is your opinion on this right now? So I haven't seen it here locally, but I do know it exists and I've seen it uh, and there's in the one thing that the reality we have to, to come to grips with is that there are racism. There is racism that still exists. Like if I went down South in certain areas, there's in certain places you don't go because you know, it's still divided and it's vocal about it. I read an article about a couple of years ago where you had uh, a prom that just had its first desegregated prom in the history of the school. And this was like two years ago. So we can't sit here and say that, you know, racism doesn't exist because it does in certain places. The other thing with that is that in my profession specifically, um, you know, I can't sit here and, and act like, um, where were, what was I trying to get? I just lost my train of thought. I can't sit here and act like, you know, every situation is racially motivated. You know what I mean? So, for example, you watch the George Floyd video. A lot of people are saying this was racist. This was racist. This was racist. Well, by an eight-minute video, you can't determine that this was a racist act because how, how would you be able to determine that based off of seeing one officer putting his knee on, on an African-American male? You know what I mean? You can't determine that. What I could say, and, and honestly, my personal opinion on it was that George Floyd was killed because of pride, I think, or a, a contempt of cop, I like to call it. You know, the cop didn't want to be wrong, therefore he didn't remove his knee, and that's why, or that's one of the things that led to the, the death of George Floyd. But to say it was racism just on the face value of that video – no. Could it have been racism? Absolutely. How would you determine that? You have to go back and look at a man's track record. You have to look back at, you know, you know what, it, it, does he have a history of abusing minorities as opposed to non-minorities? So there's a lot of things that you have to look at in order to determine whether or not a situation is racist. So to say that racism doesn't exist in our profession, I would be lying to say it doesn't because I know for a fact that there, I've had, I've had heard racial slurs within our profession, unfortunately. I've had heard, you know, people um, do things in our profession that I believe might have been racially motivated. And that's, I'm not talking about in my police department, but just as I've traveled 
and spoke to other police department and, whole, and heard different stories, I know it occurs. But to say that every situation that we're talking about is, is racist, we can't do that. And one of the downfalls by doing that is that if we want to call everything racist, how are we supposed to know when something is really racist? If we want to say that everything is racist, then how are we truly going to know if something is racist? And so that's what people need to be careful about doing is because, you know, people don't realize like law enforcement, when we, any, any contact or interaction we go on with people, it's isolated. You know what I mean? Cause we all have different, we're, we're different. God made every single human being different. We think differently. We're going to act differently. Your fears are probably not my fears. I'm sure your guys is, you know, scare tolerance is a lot higher than mine because assuming your background. So you can't just automatically go off the cuss and say, oh, this is racist because it was a white guy that killed a black guy. So let me ask a question. I'm, I'm big on facts. I'm a facts guy. Mm-hmm. So media, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of times doesn't really show you the facts. They show you what they want you to see. So mm-hmm. I did research and a lot of things have been coming out about uh, Mr. Floyd, right? So correct me if I'm wrong. One, he has a history of being a felon, Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I, I haven't heard. I okay. mean, I've seen some of the facts, but go ahead. Um, he he did have uh, different drugs in his system at the time, which mm-hmm. to me tells me he's unstable. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I heard that he had COVID. He had this and that. But my question is, as, a, as an officer of the law, um, when the media shows just a piece of this, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, because I only saw a clip. I mean- do you think maybe, and again, I'm not justifying, I'll make this very clear to everybody. I'm not justifying what happened was wrong. Okay. I'm going to admit that. But do you think he may have resisted arrest? Could he have, could there have been other things that transpired to make this police officer use, even I know it was over, it was over force, but to put this gentleman in this position for, for the first time? Because I'll tell you what, you pull me over. I know where you work. I'm not going to say this is exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to stop the car. I'm going to roll down the windows. I'm going to put my hands out the side. I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. If you tell me to get out of the car, I'm going to get out of the car. If you tell me to get on my knees, I'm going to get on my knees. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to cooperate with you. So hopefully you don't beat the living shit out of me or, you know, tase me or do whatever. So my point is, is do you think that any of that escalated the situation? Do you think maybe he wasn't responding or cooperative with the officer because I've seen officers since then get mauled, um, get attacked, get set on fire. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, and I, my father is a retired law enforcement officer. So I take this very serious. So what are your thoughts on from a 20,000 foot view f- to try to help diffuse this situation with America? Cause a lot of people are going to be listening to this. So, so this is, there's, it's twofold. The one thing that we have to see is you're absolutely right. I do think that in certain ways, the media polarizes certain things. Like, for example, like we go out and kill somebody and let's just say it was, it's claimed to be unjustified. The, the picture that they put up, they said this is a career felon. He's been running and doing all this other stuff. The picture that they're going to put up is like his graduation picture from high school. It's going to portray him to be like the most, you know, upstanding guy and, you know, loyal citizen. Even the fact of the matter, it wasn't in fact at all, at, at all. You know what I mean? So there, they, the, the media will polarize certain things like that. However, if we're looking at the George Floyd situation, I do think that there was probably some level of Actually, as a matter of fact, I know there was a level of resistance. And from the articles that I read, it sounded like George Floyd was claustrophobic. And because he was claustrophobic, when they were putting him in the car, that's why he was you know, trying to resist arrest because he didn't like being in tight spaces, which is a legitimate, I can see it being a legitimate, whether it's 
justifiable, his actions are justifiable or not, I can see how it can be a legitimate concern. I actually, you know, last week I was on the mobile field force and I had to go, they put me in the backseat of a police car because we didn't have room. So we're riding four of us in the back of a police car and the two of us that were in the back, it was super tight. Like my, and I'm not a big guy. My knees were to the back and it, it it's an uncomfortable feeling. So imagine being put in there with handcuffs, you know what I mean? That it, it starts to, it starts to hurt and take a toll. So I definitely think there was a level of resistance, but here, here's the issue with this. And this is, I think where I guess you can say minorities get upset spe- specifically with the George Floyd situation is that there was no justification at all for the officer's actions at all. Um, and one of the things that we have to do in law enforcement is we have to reassess the force that we're using constantly throughout the interaction. And that's what didn't happen here. And so, you know, whether George Floyd was actively fleeing or trying to fight these officers or whatever it was, we all know, and we're going back to based on facts, we all know that the fact of the matter was in this situation that George Floyd was handcuffed and he was subdued by three officers. We could all see that. And so the video we watch, it would be different if the video ended after 30 seconds or after a minute and then it was over. But we watch an eight-minute video where the officer that's on George Floyd's neck does not move. As a matter of fact, we see George Floyd still struggling. And then after a while, he goes limp. And the officer still doesn't move. You have a grown man that cries for his mom and says, Mom, help. If any grown man is crying for his mom, that that's that's like the lowest of lows right there. So even though like he may have been resisting, even though he might have been actively trying to fight these officers, it is the obligation of those officers to reassess the level of force that they're using throughout that interaction. You know what I mean? Because we still have to afford that that suspect the opportunity to comply. So one of the things, one of my pet peeves is this. is like you'll see videos like this all the time where you'll see officers hitting a suspect repeatedly. Hey, put your hands out. Comply. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. As they're hitting them, and it's like, okay, well, you want me to show me your hands, but yet you're still beating the heck out of me. So how the heck do you expect me to show you your hands when you're not, you know, as you're hitting me? So it's got to be one of those, you give them a strike, Hey, let me see your hands. Afford him that opportunity to comply. If he doesn't do it, hey, let me see your hands. Afford him that opportunity. With the George Floyd situation, it would have been so easy to just say, hey, stop stop, stop, uh, resisting, stop resisting. Flip him over, reassess. If he's still fighting, turn him back over. And I can say that that's what should have been done because I do that all the time. I've been in situations like that where, and, and it's funny because I called it, I actually saw the first autopsy that came out and they referenced excited delirium. And a lot of people aren't familiar with excited delirium, but it's basically a lot of times it's drug induced. Your body starts heating up internally and now you can't control the actions of your body. And so you, it gives you supernatural strength. Sometimes it makes you start, you know, you're you're delusional. And so we know what we're trained as officers. If a person is experienced excited delirium, then now what you need to do is you need to constantly reassess and you need to give them air because their body is overheating and you need to get the medical attention quickly. So I saw that from the George Floyd situation immediately. And what I saw was those officers never reassessed when they should have. And that's why I believe it was more of a contempt of cop because you have all these people around them saying, Hey, look, take, you know, check his polls, check his polls, turn him over, do all this thing. And an officer is like, no, like I'm, I'm the one that's in charge here. And so, you know, the moment he relinquishes that and the moment he checks on air, checks on polls is now the moment he basically saying you guys are right. Uh, that's, that's what I saw also. I, I saw uh, uh, power. I saw a guy that was in a position of power 
that wanted to project his power throughout that entire situation. You know, as a guy who oversees has apprehended a lot of people, um, you know, there were times where, you know, guys would get amped up. And I know you guys have this happen also. I mean, you go into Target, you encounter some hard situations. Uh, you know, maybe there are fights that you're getting into with the individuals as you apprehend them and guys are amped up. And there's a tendency after they get wrapped up that guys want to, you know, react. But obviously you cannot do that. You know, we follow a code. Uh, if, if you're doing that, you know better than, uh, you know, better than, you know, the criminals or the terrorists that are out there. So uh, obviously, though, this created a a this was a match in the gasoline when all this happened. And I don't think there's anybody out there that disagrees that what this cop did was wrong. And it's unfortunate his bad decision making, his power trip, whatever happened there just cost him his it really his life. I mean, uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, the Justice Department now will be served. All right, Ryan, this is amazing. We got to take a break. Um you know, obviously, we got to pay the bills for the show to have amazing guests like Mr. Ryan Tillman. So, I'm not that amazing. <laughs> oh, dude, this is uh, powerful stuff. And we're going to get deeper here in a few minutes. So uh, let's uh, let's take a break. And we want to give a shout out to our amazing sponsor, Icon Meals. Hey, guys, this is Ray from the Overcome and Cocker Show. And we are proud to announce that Icon Meals is our mid-roll sponsor. Icon is an industry leader in cryovac meal technology. What does that mean, guys? You are going to get the freshest meals delivered to you next day service. Another key factor of why I love Icon Meals is they have two menus, guys. They have the signature menu and the custom meal. So if you're like me and you need more protein or less carbs and you're on the go and fitness is your life, you can make a customizable meal. And or if you're just looking for the standard healthy meal choice, you can. So everything is organized for you. So ladies and gentlemen, Icon Meals has taken all the work out of it. All you have to do is put in what you want and they will provide what you need. And it doesn't end there. They also offer popcorn, seasonings, coffee, cookies, crisp bread, and gift cards. So guys, check them out at www.iconmeals.com. All right, Ryan, incredible conversation, obviously, about you as a police officer and the death of uh, George Floyd and the tinderbox that ignited. I, I, I got to tell you, I am struggling a little bit because I have friends that are police officers and um, and just watching the narrative. And obviously, there are people out there that are peacefully protesting. I'm, I'm all about it, man. I mean, I fought for your right to do that. I mean, that's, you know, the First Amendment right is what makes America great. Um, but we're so divided. And I've seen several police officers have been killed across the nation, including a um, police officer was shot in the back of the head. He's not, he, I, I don't think he's died yet. I think he's in critical condition in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, I, I asked my buddy about him the other day because he works at Las Vegas Metro. And I guess he was showing positive. He was reacting to light. His pupils were dilating. So they were saying that there's been some uh, progress, but this was about two or three days ago. So I don't know if it's gone better or gotten worse, but. But yeah, he was, you know, attempted his, his life was attempted to be killed execution style. Yeah. While he was wrestling and people are applauding this. Um, there was a Missouri police chief who was killed, who, who, who was a black American who was killed by rioters trying to protect a business just uh, two nights ago. So I, I'm I'm. Uh, all these people are saying to me, hey, you need to understand this is part of the Black Lives Movement, you know, th that that's what this is about. But I'm I'm like, 
one, I, I'm like, all lives matter. I don't care who you are. The sanctity of life should be preserved. It should have nothing to do with the color of your skin. I'm all about protesting. There are things that need to be changed. Uh, you know, some, some heavy-handed tactics need to be yeah. changed. I agree with that a thousand percent. But, you know, you, you want to tell me, hey, black lives matter, but are you saying black lives only matter depending on what situation they're in? Yeah, if they're in a blue, if they're in a blue uniform, they no longer matter. So one of the, the frustrating things for me is being in that unique position as a black man is like um, me and my wife have been having a lot of dialogue about this. And it's like, you know, it almost seems with the narrative that black lives matter when it only comes at the hands of a police officer. Like that's the only time that black lives truly matter because, you know, when somebody's killed at the hands of a police officer, oh, we got to, you know, we got to, you know, got to riot. And what's and I can say this, but where do Black Lives Matter when it comes to you know taking care of our children, you know, in a two parent parent home? Where do Black Lives Matter when we're in the neighborhood trying to shoot up, you know, each other's houses over some gang territory or gang turf, you know? And and that happens in all races. My point is is that you know they should matter all the time. They shouldn't just matter when they're killed by a police officer. Do I understand where the message is coming from with Black Lives Matter, at least the peaceful ones? Absolutely. Um, somebody actually brought this up to me the other day, and it was actually a white, a white guy, a friend of mine, and I, and I never really thought of it like this, and it was profound. But he was like, you know, when somebody says Black Lives Matter and then another person says, well, Blue Lives Matter, and then another person says All Lives Matter, it's like going to a breast cancer awareness event and saying, well, lung cancer matters too. And I was like, wow, that's, that's an interesting take. And so the reason I'm saying that I could kind of understand that side of it is that I did a video the other day called why, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, this is why. And the whole, the premise behind the, this is why video was, is I had to take the beginning part of that video back to some of the history of our country. So I have a 96 year old grandfather. He's a World War II veteran, still alive, lives with my mom. He actually uh, retired as a Colonel, uh, in the army, I believe. That's awesome. And so, yeah. And so dude is like, you know, it's, it's wealth and knowledge, man. He's still, his name is uh, Leo Galloway, man. I'll show you a picture of him. Super legit. Shout out. me, sir. I uh, will for sure. He, uh, I went, you know, before he's starting to get a lot older now and obviously, so his memory is not as good as it was, but I remember us having conversations when I was a little bit younger and he was telling me that he still remembers going onto a plantation and somebody saying that this is your aunt. And when he looked at the lady, the lady was white with red hair. And at the time, he was like, how is this possible? Because it, it was not it was not a thing to be interracial dating or nothing like that. Obviously, you know, plantation owners would sleep with the help. And so that's kind of how that all happened. And so the same man grew up in the civil rights movement where, you know, they had colored fountains and they had white fountains. And, you know, the lynching and the, you know, the hanging people, the, the burning crosses, he lived through all of this. And so I, I kind of go back to when President Obama was elected. And I this was very interesting time for me because it was like at that time, you had a lot of people voting for President Obama because he was black. And without actually looking at what he stood for or stood by, I was like, for my grandfather, somebody who's lived through civil rights, somebody who has been on a plantation, somebody who's seen what actually goes on, I can understand why somebody like him would vote for somebody that's black just because in his lifetime, he never probably ever thought he'd ever see a black president. 
But that doesn't give me an excuse to go vote for President Obama because he's black. I'm living in 2020. I never experienced colored fountains and white fountains. I've never experienced being shot, sprayed with police or with, with hoses. I've never experienced crosses in my yard. So I don't have that same excuse that my grandfather can use because I've never experienced. Have I experienced uh, prejudices or discrimination? Absolutely. And I'll tell you guys about those stories here in a second to kind of prove that stuff still exists. But the reason I bring all that up is because there is deep-rooted history in our, in our society, in our, in our American history, that make situations like George Floyd almost like you're removing a scab of a, a wound that's trying to heal. And so for those that are trying to do peaceful protests, I understand it. Unfortunately, what's happening is, is these peaceful protests are being overshadowed by criminals that could care less about George Floyd. You know, in two months from now, when the next big headline comes out, a lot of people are going to forget George Floyd because they're just trying to take advantage of a situation. And so, you know, we talk, I understand. Like, and so what my point is, is that I understand where the Black Lives Matter, where the movement comes from, or some of the things that they're trying to fight against, some of the injustices that have occurred in law enforcement. But at the same time, the ones that are being portrayed in the media uh, and some of the ones that are trying to do things in the name of Black Lives Matter, just as a ploy to just say F12 is unacceptable. Ryan, I um, I had a young, uh, uh, I had a young black woman on social media reach out to me. Really smart, uh, very nice, super articulate, and I because I put out a video on Monday about I, I teach something called the Pentagon of Peak Performance: five areas of leadership. One of those areas is emotional leadership, how we manage our emotions and in hard times. And uh, and I wrote about you know we really need to have strong emotional leadership right now. And, and she wrote me, she wrote me and she said, um, Hey, I really appreciate your perspective, but I think you should watch this video and I think it'll help you with your perspective. And I said, okay, great. So I, I opened this video and it was about a 15 minute video. And it was a, uh, it was a very, very, uh, appeared very intelligent, articulate, uh, young black woman talking about the rioting. And, and I've, I've said this, I've said, man, I don't understand why are we destroying buildings and why are we burning buildings? What is that helping in this process? And she basically was saying, well, you know, this is, this is part of what needs to happen. She said, you know, that, um, that the property it's linked to capitalism and capitalism as linked to the oppression of black Americans and that you just need to allow this to happen. And she went on to further say that if you are upset by the destruction of this property, then there's a problem with you, that you're racist because basically you are placing the value of this property above the value of the lives that are lost. And I was, I'll be honest, I was dumbfounded when I watched it. Um, I just, my mind obviously couldn't wrap itself around this. Um, but obviously there is a group of, of Americans, obviously there's a group of black Americans that believe this or minorities. How, how do we, how do we bring logic back into the equation on this to try and bring people back together and, and unite them? Because, um, I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I, I know, obviously, we've got some racial issues. There's a reason all of this has occurred, but capitalism did not lead to this. There's so many entrepreneurs and amazing black Americans that are incredibly successful because of capitalism. 
Well, and so, and one thing we have to highlight is that you have a lot, you have a society that's re- reacting based off of emotion. Think about how many, so one of, oh man, one of the things that my buddy told me, he's in the military. He was like, man, there's a lot of things, a lot of, um, you know, heinous things that were done in the name of freedom. And you guys could probably relate to this more than anybody. And so a lot of people don't see what has to be done in the name of freedom, but yet they still want their freedom. And so my point is, is that as officers, we have a job that sometimes is not pretty. And because it's not pretty, you know, you react emotional based off of a video you see, and therefore you believe that the re- the remainder of the, the narrative is the same way. I, I, I give you the example of when uh, Alvin Sterling was killed. It was very, like, if you watch the video, it was terrible. Like, you have officers cussing this dude out, saying, if you move, I'm going to put a mother effing cap in your head and all this other stuff. It was terrible to watch, but it was completely justified. So you have people reacting emotionally to a video of what they saw, but not actually putting logic behind what they actually saw. And so what we have to realize, and, th- and this is where it goes back to dealing with kids and training our kids and where we lack as African-Americans is that we have to be taught the value of not just, you know, going to school, getting a good education and going to work for somebody, but we have to be taught the value of what it means, of what it truly means to be an American and have the right to go out there and build, you know, your own, your own uh, business or your own legacy for your family. And so I did a post on this last week um, where I talk about how, you know, people are saying it's just property, it's just property. You don't realize that that property is attached to a life. And if you damage somebody's property, then they now have, they've damaged their life because that's how they were surviving for their family. And a lot of these properties that they're damaging are damaging their brothers and sisters who are the same nationality or racism, who they worked their whole life to get it where they are. And now you're damaging their life because, you know, you think that by going out and looting their stores, it's okay. So tell me how important human life is at that point in time, because property is a part of human life. I don't care what anybody wants to say. Human life is important, but property is also a part of that because human life is what allows us to substantiate, sustain as a family to grow legacies and generational wealth. And so what we, we've done as a disservice in our own community is we're not teaching these principles. I recently, within the last you know, two or three years, have been schooling myself up on what generational wealth is. I love my parents to death. They're phenomenal parents. But it was that you know, blue collar mentality, go to work, go to school, get a good job, and then retire one day at 60 years old and live the rest of your life. It wasn't until I started talking to other people and started listening to other podcasts when I really found out what generational wealth is, is you buying property, buying real estate. You know what I mean? Start establishing a legacy so that way your kids' kids can take over. And next thing you know, generations from now, your family's okay. We've missed that mark in America as far as minorities are concerned in many ways. I understand why because, again, going back to slavery days, that's not what we were able to do. So we've been behind the eight ball. But if we continue to focus on situations like George Floyd and burning businesses down, how do we expect to ever progress in life? What we need to do is we need to go back to the root of the problem and say, look, as when our kids start to grow up, one, they need two parents in the household. We need to stop just sleeping with people and just having kids and then going on to the next one, sleep with another person, having kids with somebody else, because that does a disservice. It does a disservice when you tell your kids like, hey, look, you know what? F the police. Okay, well, how do you think they're going to react when they get older? They're going to just naturally react to F the police because that's all they've been trained. We need to teach them how to develop wealth for themselves, how to build good credit. Like these are all things that can change the systemic damage that's been done. It's not all on the police officers. And sometimes I feel like as police officers, we're the doormat to everybody else's problems. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, so you see that the truth. George Floyd situation, but you're you're discounting the whole systemic issue in the first place. So now you want to blame police like we're the problem, but no, there's a whole system systemic problem that's not being addressed right now. Man, yeah, spot on. Uh Ryan, I, I want to address. Sorry, I speak loud, man. I no, I love it, man. Well, to, dude, like I'm you have such a unique, <laughs> unique, unique perspective uh, that I hope that everybody will be listening to this. You know, we got to get your message out there um, because it's so needed right now. I mean, gosh, it is so divided. Well, one of the additional things that I'm, I feel like is created massive amounts of division, uh, you know, a big elephant in the room is this this term that's just been thrown around a lot lately, which is white privilege. Oh, white privilege. And I, I, I you know, I, man, there's no generational wealth in my family. I grew up poor. Uh, I busted my ass to get where I am by going in the military and working very hard. And I'm watching right now in the throat, in the, in the passion and the emotions of all this, I'm watching people I know, friends of mine on social media, like put posts like, hey, I'm sorry for my white privilege. And I'm like, I'm a little dumbfounded. I'm like, okay, so you're apologizing for the color of your skin, but maybe I'm misunderstanding, you know, what this really means. So I'd love, because I think there's some of us out there, they're like, what does that even mean? So, you know, can you help like shed some light on this? Because yeah, so I think this it's creating is, this, a lot of tension. This is going to get deep. All right. So we got to go back. And the only reason I say we have to go back is because we have to go back in order to understand where we're at. And once we understand where we're at, now we can figure out how we can better solve things. So if you go back to, again, slavery days, white privilege was one of those things. Like if you're white, you just didn't have to worry about certain things that African-Americans did. I, I took a trip to Michigan last summer or last winter to go speak at a uh, fair state university to some college students. And what they have there, they have the, um, the Jim Crow, they have a Jim Crow museum. Are you familiar with Jim Crow or Jim Crow laws? So for those of the audience that's not listening, if you're not familiar, Jim Crow laws were put in place during civil rights, which basically created laws for coloreds, for black people that said like, hey, look, you know, this may not be an official law, may not be an official penal code, but we can create our own law as a white race. And we can basically hold you to that law, even though you may not even know it. And we can essentially um, figure out, determine what our punishment is going to be for you. So they would actually, they would actually said like, hey, look, at a time and place in our history, it was actually better for you to actually break a law that was actually written on paper than to break a Jim Crow law because there was really no government governing fact about how to, you know, um, to enforce these laws. For example, you know, it may be a, it may not have been a law to look at a white lady the wrong way, but in the Jim Crow laws, it may have been a way to, you might have violated that. And now you two can determine how you want to deal with me and punish me. So you, you take that. And then during that Jim Crow era, you have this blackface movement. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the blackface movement, but the blackface movement was, you know, white people would paint their faces black and they would, you know, start portraying African-Americans as being, you know, very, very aggressive people, very, you know, uh, overly, you know, barbaric people and then or on the flip side of that as clowns and 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 help and so i didn't even realize if you go to the local grocery store and buy aunt jemima syrup that was part of the that that movement that era and so the reason i bring that up is because that's kind of where white privilege comes out of is like when you walk down the street you know as as, as african-american you know, there was a certain expectation of how you would act as opposed to if you're white you didn't have that the reason that's important is because as we've moved through history 
yeah, we've gotten rid of a lot of that in many different ways, but we haven't got rid of it in certain ways. But how do we know when that's when it's actually we're dealing with the situation is based off of white privilege or we're and we're not dealing with a situation that's not white privilege? And that's the hard thing. And so I'll give you guys an experience that I had recently, man. And this was like as recent as like two years ago or less. I was in a uh, I, was, I had got hurt at work and I went to one of the hospitals that we're supposed to go to for um uh, because it's for workman's comp. So I'm in there and as I walk in, they're divided by the curtain. So you can't see people, but when you walk in, you can actually see who's in the curtain. So there was a, a black guy on the far end. Then there was a, a white lady, an older, and I don't want to say older white lady, she's probably mid fifties in, in the middle one. And then there was me. So I'm just kind of listening. The black guy's talking to his doctors and nurses and the white lady or whatever. So the black guy walks out and he walks out. And then as he walks out, he passes the lady and then he passes me, walks out the door. I don't think that lady knew I was next to her, but as soon as the guy walked out, she told the the nurses and they're like, is that big, scary black guy gone? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, wow, like what made him so scary? Like, you know, he, I'm listening to conversation. He seemed like a decent guy who was dressed, you know, decent. And so he like, Oh wow. Like did that big, big, scary black guy leave? And that kind of made me feel a certain type of way because I'm like, man, that's how she is now. Like how is she with other people? And so Again, going back to law enforcement being the door, the doormat to everybody else's problems, we are the doormat to other people's racism. So what I mean by that is that if that same lady called the police because she just saw a black man working through her neighborhood and that's her preconceived notion of black people, then now the police show up saying, like me, and remember I gave you guys that experience about me, hey, this guy is suspicious. And so now we have to go talk to this dude and now we look like the bad guys because somebody else said we're suspicious. And so the last example I'll use is, and again, this came from a white friend of mine, a uh, good, good friend of mine, solid guy, very educated. Um, he, he, you go back a month from when this George Floyd situation had, we had the Ahmad Arbery thing going on in Georgia. And he said something to me that made me think. He was like, Ryan, I actually, as a white man, had to take my, and this guy's a police officer. He was like, I had to take a step back and really ask myself, had it been two black guys that shot a white guy in the street, had they not, would, would have those black guys been arrested or would they let them go? And I was like, ooh, that, that, that's, it's a touchy subject, but man, that's, that's a, brings up a good point. Had it been two black guys that actually shot a white guy dead in the street and would they have let those black guys go home like they let those two white guys go home and not be arrested till a month later? And so that's why I say there are some systematic issues that still exist but to say that everything is based off of white privilege or this, this, and that, we can't do that. I have so many white friends that are good people that are, you know, down to earth people that I've seen them take off their shirt, their shirt off their back for minority people. You know what I mean? So there are good white people, good people of all races and stuff like that. But we can't also discount the fact that certain people have certain prejudices that still exist. Like as a black man, it does feel weird to walk into a room with white people. I'm just confident in myself to like, hey, man, I'm a rapper, whoever. But there are a lot of people that aren't as confident as me that will go in there and feel weird or feel weird working in a workplace where it's predominantly dominated by white people. And so for them, it's hard to understand when, is this because of prejudice or is it just because I suck as an employee? Like, is that why I didn't get the promotion? Yeah. So there is a place for white privilege. And what white privilege means is that, you know what, you may get the nod over somebody else just because they they adapt to you. But also you got to realize, and this is the last point I'll make is that a lot of things, we do a lot of things just based off of our human nature. If I see a black guy 
in the street, I have a tendency to give them the head nod. Just one of those things the way I grew up, not being racist, not being like, hey, I like black people better than white people. But just naturally, I see a black people like, hey, what's up, man? Like, but it's not on nothing that's racist. And so that's just a human nature thing because we have a tendency to identify with somebody that may look or sound like you. I have friends of all different races, different sizes, whatever they be, and I identify with all of them in very similar manners. But initially, that initial approach, when you see somebody, you may have a tendency to, to actually, you know, converse more with somebody just based off of the way they look. And so, you know, I hate when everybody tries to use a blanket statement and say, this is white privilege or this is racism, because when something is really racist, we're not going to even know about it because you just called everything else racist. Yeah, I love it. Which I believe is happening a lot. Yeah, it is. So I got a question for you. Let's let's shift. Let's shift fire a little bit, okay? Let's talk about Breaking Barriers United. Let's talk about that and all the amazing things that you're doing. Can you kind of catch all the listeners? Everybody probably already knows what you're doing, how you're changing lives, and how you're being such a positive influence um, with young men and just everything you're doing. Just give it to us. Short version. All right. So uh, I, I created a presentation initially. And what that presentation is, is, I go in, talk to people, tell them about who I am, where I grew up, how I did, how I grew up, just like I told you guys. Tell them about my bad experiences with law enforcement, um, the reason I didn't like law enforcement, give them examples. And then I actually have them share their bad experiences with law enforcement. And then what I do is essentially I tell them why I got into law enforcement, tell them the training that goes into law enforcement, tell them the amount of hours that go in and get becoming an officer. And then I put the people through scenarios as a police officer in front of their friends and make them see what it's like firsthand to, to be a police officer and make those hard decisions. That presentation called the Initiative Workshop gained traction very, very quickly over five years ago. And I've been traveling the country just doing that same exact presentation. What it ultimately led to was creating an after-school program where I put police officers in the classrooms with students and allow them to take them through a curriculum of learning about law enforcement, but also teaching them to be better human beings and, 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 and create generational wealth and all those different things because it's important because we need our students to see what it's like to, to meet the human behind that badge, but it's equally important for that police officer to meet these students that come from single parent homes, that come from minority communities that are maybe, you know, behind or whatever it is. So it's a good match. So we created this program called Chosen, which does just that. And so from that, what we ended up doing was creating a podcast called the It's Needed podcast, I-T-S-N-E-E-D-E-D, -E 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 It's Needed, hashtag It's Needed. Um, and the reason we did that is because every time I told people what it is that we do, everybody was like, oh my goodness, that's so needed. So we created the It's Needed podcast. And then what we ended up doing was we created a huge conference where we bring all these people, we had uh, chiefs of police, city managers, mayors, teachers, students, everybody to this big old conference. We had about over 400 people attend. And it was solely based for bridging that gap between law enforcement and the community through different topics that people brought to the table. That was a huge success. And um, so we've been putting on conferences as well. Now what we're doing is we're getting into the business of actually finding, recruiting, and, and, and training the next generation of officers and making them better officers than what they currently are. And that's through assortment of different training and courses and, um, and background checks that we're trying to do to make sure that we have the best applicants out there policing our streets. The last thing I do is I speak all across the country, not just on the stuff I told you about, but I also speak on recruiting and its retention. One reason is so is because in law enforcement, we're struggling with recruiting right now. Like recruiting is at an all-time low for many reasons. When you have a good market, a lot of people don't want to become police officers because they can go get a job doing the same or doing something that makes more money and they don't have to put their life on the line. The second thing is, is we've been taking a bad beating lately with perception, so nobody wants to become a police officer. 
So I speak to the fact that how you can recruit because single-handedly I've gone out and recruited about five or six of my personal best friends that are all black guys. And now they're all officers who had no aspirations of becoming a police officer. That's uh, basically selling a lifestyle, selling the change that they can see or change the change that they want to see in a profession. So I talk about that. And then I also talk about the retention side of it because you're also dealing with the new generation of people where, you know, back in the day, people will go work a job for 20, 25 years, 30 years and stay. And now you're dealing with a generation like, Hey, I'm tired of doing this. I've been doing this for three years. What's next? And so we got to figure out how we can keep these people in our professions. So that way we can stimulate long-term change as opposed to getting, you know, going somewhere else once they've done. So that's kind of the long, short version of everything I've been doing. Um, it's been a crazy, crazy journey, man. I still work 40 hours a week as a police officer. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's awesome that your department supports you and what you're trying to do. And, and man, it's so needed right now. So, uh, you know, what you're doing is really driving forward. Right now, people are so divided. People are so emotional. You know, still protests are occurring all across the country. There's unfortunately still some violence going on in different parts of the country. What do you see? I mean, I've heard all kinds of talks. You got people that are like, defund the police. You got people that are obviously like, we need, you know, I think it's, you know, more training. It's exactly what you're talking about. But what do you see the best way forward is? I mean, for you, we're coming full circle. Your word is hope. What is hope for the future for our country and our police and and uh, and for black Americans and white Americans that so we all can come back together? I mean, how, where do you see that? So here's a hope. Um, you know, look at Kim Kardashian West's finger and on her left finger, you're going to see this huge old freaking fat diamond rock thing probably worth like 20 million dollars. But before it got on her finger. It was a it was a rock in the dirt with a whole bunch of coal and just nastiness around it before it was ever landed on her finger. But in order to get to that that final stage on her finger, it had to go through a lot of pressure and it had to be cut. Pressure, cut, pressure, cut over and over and over and over again. So what we're seeing in society right now, we're seeing a lot of pressure and we're seeing a lot of cutting on both that. That's why we're divided. And so the way I see it is while everybody sees this country as being divided, which it is, I actually choose to see the other side of it where I'm seeing, oh, yeah, now's the time to go in and make the best changes for our profession. You know what I mean? Now's the time to implement things, you know, to get the best qualified candidates in the job. Now's the time to go into minority communities and get these cats to come in and be officers. Now's the time to make our training some of the best training that we thought we were good. Oh, we're going to be even better than what we are now. That's how I see it. And that's where my hope is. That's what drives me. And so, you know, we got to stop looking behind, by, beyond the division. That's what you call a diversion. That's the media trying to create a diversion so you don't really know what's going to happen. Where I'm like, man, I can create my own narrative. And my narrative is like, yeah, that narrative is one of hope. And so, you know, it'd be one thing if I just came on this podcast and just was like, oh, man, here goes all these grandiose ideas. And this is what I think we should do to change. But once we hang up, I'm going back to the work that I'm doing. The stuff I'm telling you that we need to do as a country, I'm going back to doing that work. We literally, right before I got on with you guys, just finished up shooting another uh, episode of a course that we're going to produce to help people become police officers. And the reason we're creating this course is because as minorities, you let's say I want to get into law enforcement as a minority, but I don't know any cops because my whole family hates cops. Well, what hope do you really have of getting hired if you don't know how to get through the process? None. So that's where I see the hope and stuff and the change that comes is because you're going to have people out there like me, my buddy Sean that's in the room with me right now, and some other guys that are going to go, like you guys, 
that are on the forefront that see the optimist, the optimist side of where we're going. And so, you know, I'm wearing a shirt right now. It's the big old you on me. And a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't even realize until I created the logo, but it's a you. This is a you that comes from Breaking Bears United. What the U stands for is the United. And you'll see a grayish line, but then you also see this, this black line right here. You see barriers being broken through the U, but then you also see them meeting in the, in the middle together. So when you talk about Breaking Barriers United and what it really represents is you see barriers that are being broken through the actual logo, but you see the two lines coming together to unite in the middle. That's what we need to do. We need to unite as a people. I'm here at the forefront to lead that change. You guys are. And so that's why, you know, this is full circle, man. It's hope. Like, let's stop being bogged down with all the negative stuff out there and let's find the hope that you can create for yourself. A lot of people think we got to go out somewhere else and find the hope. No, you can create that hope the moment you get out of bed and just say, thank you, God, for waking me up this morning and giving me another life, another day to live. And now let me live that day to go out and serve you and ultimately shed your gospel so that way people can see your glory and everything as opposed to seeing the evil and everything. Man, powerful. You know, we normally wrap up the show with all of us talking about the word of the day, but you just, man, you dropped the mic, brother. He did it. Yeah. So amazing. Uh, I love it. Uh, hope for the future is what we need. I love the diamond analogy, um, the cutting uh, and the forging that's occurring. And, uh, and you know, we'll get there. Optimism and hope, all of us coming together to recognize that. So, Ryan, awesome. Where can people find you right now? You are so needed across this nation. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find about your organization? Where could they bring you in to speak? Where's your podcast? Give me the goods. Oh, man, I appreciate it, Jay. So uh, first and foremost, you guys can go to uh, the website, Breaking Barriers United. It's all one word, BreakingBarriersUnited.com, and you can look us up on there. Uh, a lot of You can also send out inquiries if you want me to come out and speak to your organization. Again, I speak to police departments. I speak to high schools, college students, you name it. Uh, I also don't just speak on police topics. I actually do a lot of motivational speaking as well. So I motivate. I do diversity workshops, uh, talking about how we can unite as a people. Uh, I actually, one of the things I, I didn't bring up on here is I actually talk about how damaging it is when black people use the word in the, the N word. Um, before we wrap up, I used to use the N word all the time when I'm in college. I used to always use the N word. People, one of my buddies was like, bro, you use the N word a lot. I, like, I know. And I didn't realize it. And so I stopped using it. And then what I realized, there's a movie called Harriet. And I started doing history and, you know, black history. And I was like, man, you know how many of our ancestors will be turning in their grave right now if they heard us using the N word? I was like, though our ancestors had the opportunity to go and create their own name. And so when you call another person inward, the same thing that they were calling them on those plantation, you're basically just putting the, the, the dagger in them even more. So I do diversity workshops. Um, and then the best way to reach me or find our content is on our Instagram page, which is breaking underscore barriers underscore United. Um, you can look us up on there. We have a YouTube channel uh, breaking barriers United. And then, Please, if you want to, check out our podcast where I have more of these conversations with a guy by the name of AJ. Uh, he goes by Oh No, It's a Popo on Instagram. Really, really good, solid guy. He's a police officer out of Columbus, Ohio. And um, Go really box. good following. But we have a podcast called It's Needed. So hashtag It's Needed. And you can also find us on there. So those are the main ways to find us. And also, if you want to reach out to Jay or whoever, you know, uh, I, I appreciate you guys, the, the work that you guys are doing. And you guys have become friends of mine, even though we may not have been in person. And so... I just look forward to this continual bond that we'll have moving forward in the future because that's really the way we're going to change it all. Amen to that. I'm yeah. blown away. I, I'm, you, you are the real deal. I am honored to have you on this show. Producer Ryan here. I, you, you haven't seen me yet. but No I mean, one I'm sees just Ryan. inspired just by 
uh, you're just inspiring, man. And yeah. I don't know where you have the time to do what you're doing, but keep doing what you're doing. Amen. A strong wife at home. Yeah, <laughs> amen to that. So. A strong wife at home, man. So, and I appreciate you, Ryan, man. I know what, all the work that goes into what you do with producing the show, man. So I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been an, uh, Ryan Tillman. Just thank you once again, dude. Stay safe out there. Keep doing what you're doing. This nation needs it. The people need it. All of us coming back together. You are driving the change that you want to see. Mr. Cascare, I think, I think this is a wrap. What, what a powerful show. I got nothing. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. I, I love your message. I love what you're doing. You know, we need to stop all this craziness and start moving forward and start, you know, turn the switch back on, not just for America, but for positivity and, you know, being united and just doing great shit. That's what it's about with me. You know, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. All right. This has been another episode of the Overcome and Conquer show. I am Jason Overcome Redmond. And I'm Ray Cashcare. And we are out. Boom. Thanks for listening to the Overcome and Conquer show. Tune in next time and please remember to subscribe on iTunes. Please visit overcomeandconquer.com.